on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, we begin our show with some genre-related news. It was announced this week that the August premiere of Christopher Nolan's Tenet has now been delayed indefinitely. The decision marked a tremendous setback for the exhibition industry as theater chains had hoped to use the sci-fi thriller to establish their reopenings. However, the delay was necessary given the uncertainty regarding how soon theaters will be able to safely reopen amidst the coronavirus pandemic. IDW Publishing's Chris Ryall has stepped down as president and publisher. Ryall started at the company in 2004 and has worked in various roles, including editor-in-chief, a job that he left in the summer of 2018, before returning in December 2018 to take the president-publisher position. He will continue as an executive producer of the Netflix Lock and Key series and will be the sole editor for any future Lock and Key publishing projects. IDW reported a substantial financial loss in 2019, although projections earlier this year had been for a return to profitability by 2021. This was prior to the COVID-19 outbreak, which has led to numerous layoffs at the company. AMC won a significant ruling on Wednesday in an ongoing legal dispute involving profits from The Walking Dead. An L.A. Superior Court judge held that AMC Network was entitled to define modified adjusted gross receipts under the terms of its contract with profit participants. TWD creator Robert Kirkman sued in 2017 accusing AMC of offering a deceptively low estimate of the fee to license the show from AMC's production arm. Another suit is pending in New York, which was filed by TV series creator Frank Darabont, who alleges he is owed some $300 million in unpaid profits. That case is set to go to trial in 2021. AMC's lead attorney hailed the decision in a statement and said the network is preparing for the upcoming case in New York with confidence given this favorable ruling. And some sad news to report this week as American actress and dancer Galen George died of cancer. She was known to genre audiences for her work in RoboCop 2, Mantis, Twin Peaks, and Xena Warrior Princess among many others. She was 55. And John Lewis, the 17-term congressman from Georgia and an icon of the American Civil Rights Movement, died on July 17th. Congressman Lewis's three-volume biography, March, was published by Top Shelf as a graphic novel to great acclaim in 2015. It has since gone on to win a host of industry awards and is currently being used in schools as an educational tool. The congressman was 80 years old. Joining me today on this always special plague edition of Fantastic Forum, 
uh, three favorites from many previous shows, uh, Julian Lytle, Mike Lunsford, and Brian Lyles. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so it's always appropriate to uh, pay homage to those who have passed on and are no longer with us. And uh, there was one that I saw today, and I was actually very, very surprised because uh, this this, uh, woman passed away about a week ago, but it was Galen George. And uh, if you're not generally familiar with Galen George, uh, she was an actress and dancer and uh, known for such wonderful films as uh, RoboCop 2. She was in Twin Peaks. Uh, She had uh, also been known to genre audiences as Lieutenant Leora Maxwell on the TV series Mantis, not to be confused with the pilot of Mantis. And uh, she was actually one of the best things about the TV series, even though she had not been on the pilot. She also did uh, episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, Xena, Warrior Princess, Stargate SG-1, and Lost, of all things, you know, mm. but had continued to, uh, to work to this day. In fact, uh, I, I see on her IMDP page that uh, she's got something that is currently in post-production, but mm. uh, Galen George, and she was gorgeous too, oh my god, I had <laughs> such a thing Galen George. I, I, I liked her. Um, I, a friend of mine, he posted a clip of her on when she was on The Fresh Prince, and she was like the, the bully to, to Will. And uh, somehow at, it was like towards the end of the episode where they were at her gym, and Will tried to confront her, and she was still bullying him. And then Will sort of blocked all her punches. And then you know grabbed her from behind, and we're both turned on by it afterwards. <laughs> so, but it just although I you know seeing she she was very beautiful and very multi talented. It, it is kind of sad to uh, see her pass, and 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 the real sadness is dying before your the day before her birthday, yeah. um, and it's it is unfortunate. Uh, so also uh, this past week, Grant Imahara, I had seen him on Star Trek Continues, and I was familiar with uh, his stuff from Mythbusters, but uh, I, I didn't know uh, about his special effects work that he, I mean, and come to find out, and I gather that was the whole reason he was on Mythbusters, because he was a roboticist. I mean, all that stuff that they, well, at least the stuff where it was him and the other guy and the girl, he built all that stuff mm. that they would use. And uh, he had actually worked for Lucasfilm and uh, had done some R2-D2s uh, and was the operator and the roboticist for the R2-D2s in the prequel movies. Uh, I mean, this guy, he was all over the place with that stuff. Yeah, and really, like, with with him, I, I had never gotten a chance to meet him. I had never really interacted with him on social media or and anything else. But, like, with the way all of us are, with with as many friends as we have in the industry and in the comic books industry in just the geek nerd world that we live in so many people and like friends and acquaintances that I know had interacted with him and every single person was like, he is the nicest dude. He is so cool. He is so fun to be around like people that I know have, have worked, had worked with him. And like, this was just like a shock dude. Cause I mean, he had an, he had a brain aneurysm. I mean, this yeah. was just like, this was not, 
anything anybody was expecting. So this really kind of hit punched everybody in the gut. So as somebody who's, who tries to be as empathetic as possible, I think that was what hurt me the most was just seeing all of these friends that I had who were just like crushed by seeing, by, by hearing about his death. So he was so young, you know, I mean, he was, I mean, you know, Galen George was young, but this guy was even younger than that. So uh, that, that's always sad and, and had so much more to do so much more to give and was a was a great fan i mean you can't be in something like star trek continues and he was playing Mm -hmm. sulu in star trek (laughs) continues but you can't be in something like that without uh you know really having a love for this stuff you know Mm -hmm. but yeah probably the uh the biggest uh death from the the past week was uh congressman john lewis from the fifth congressional district in uh, georgia and uh, of course, Congressman Lewis had been a civil rights icon. I mean, he is up until his passing, he had been, I understand, the last living speaker from the uh, March on Washington back in 1963. But part of the reason that we uh, observe Congressman Lewis's passing is because of his graphic novel memoir uh, in three uh, volumes, March, uh, which was uh, co-written by his uh, staffer Andrew Iden, and uh, illustrated by Nate Powell, mm. and uh, a really fabulous work. If you have not read March, I encourage you to do so. And, and I tell you something: you will learn about the civil rights movement. <laughs> I mean, being a black man of my age, I thought I knew all about the civil rights movement. Tell you what, I picked this comic up, and I'm like, oh, smack! I'm learning stuff that I hadn't realized. Yeah. Well, here's Yuli, thanks to you, I got to meet him uh, when we interviewed him uh, at the Small Press Expo. And then after I read the book, it's the first book, um, it was a page turner. Just very compelling. The way they did it, uh, you know, the flashbacks and going into the present where he was, I believe the the story starts where um, he was about to introduce Obama in his inauguration and it, it was so good and I after I got the first book uh, I ended up meeting him again at the Congressional Black Caucus everybody was gathered there was a good amount of people gathering around him and mind you they they had the simple things about you know it's oh you know you're great yo you're you're a legend you're you know you're such a motivation blah 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 all about his you know, uh, activism and things like that and mm-hmm. all that. So when I got a chance to meet him, I shook his hand and I said, I really love March. And I, mind you, you know how the, his facial expression was very, you know, stoic and, and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. When I mentioned about the, about the, uh, the graphic novel, his eyes lit up. And, and mind you, during the conversation I met it, mentioned it, it's just like, you really? And it's like, yeah, it's really good. And, and he was so, I mean, just see him light up like that. It was like, you rarely see that from, you know, and all, it was kind of funny. I was, I was like, I was the only person to sort of like brighten his day in a sense. And, and after I read that one, I got the second one. Again, another page turn. I was just like, oh, I can't wait for the third. I wanted to get the third, I got the third, and I, I was hoping to, because when it came out, I was hoping to see him again and have him sign it. I recommend everybody to get all three volumes, uh, because if you really want to learn history, and I think this is the other thing I think with uh, 
something like this for because I, I believe that the whole uh, process is to try to get graphic novels to be new learning materials uh, for for a lot of schools. And I think this is a perfect example for it because I really think this is a good way, a new way for people to learn because, mind you, comic books are in the end thing now. Everyone wants to tired of reading things. They want to see things. They want to see some imagery in a sense to absorb a bit more information. And I think March is the best example out there right now to have a little history in addition to uh, some, you know, to brighten people's minds now. And I hope they they continue this in, with other historical figures down the line. So, again, March is great. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that connection to education because uh, March actually is being used in public schools today and has been for a couple of years. Uh, in fact, the School Library Journal uh, listed March as one of the top 10 comics that are used in schools. In fact, it was number two on the list behind Art Spiegelman's Mouse. So, uh, it, and, and that was one of the things that I remember talking to uh, Andrew about the last time that I saw him, Andrew Iden, uh, you know, is how widely used that the book has become in the schools and how pleased uh, that uh, he and uh, Nate and the congressman have been uh, at the way it's been received because, you know, for all the, uh, for all the accolades that uh, the three of them got for that book, uh, you know, Eisner Awards and all this kind of thing. They also got quite a bit of recognition for having this thing be as well received in schools. I mean, the one thing that I got to say is, though, I mean, because you were talking it up, Brian, um, be ready because mm -hmm. when you read this, it's I mean, it's a very powerful work and they don't water anything down. I nope. mean, it is. I mean, people getting killed, people getting their ass whooped, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, lynchings. I mean, this is and and it's the true story. You know, I mean, this is this is what really happened, you know, which is I mean, they they lay out, I mean, the Edmund Pettus Bridge. I mean, all this stuff, you know, and, um, you know, so it's 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 not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. Not at all. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Brian Lyles, Julian Lytle, and Mike Lunsford. And we have just been talking about uh, the, the life and uh, the work, uh, March in particular, by uh, the late Congressman John Lewis, who uh, just passed away, succumbed to pancreatic cancer uh, just a few days ago. So you know, something else that I had wanted to mention as we are moving along here, uh, it's the return of a wonderful syndicate, well, it's not syndicated any longer, but what had been a wonderful syndicated single panel strip by a brilliant artist and writer named Gary Larson. Uh, the, the young people in the audience may not remember this, but it was called The Far Side. <laughs> and between 1979 and 1995, uh, it was a, uh, featured by a Universal Press Syndicate and a whole bunch of different newspapers. And it was uh, in the comic section. It was part of the reason that you would look for the newspaper every day. <laughs> and uh, he did a lot of stuff with cows <laughs> and uh, 
you know, other farm animals, uh, you know, dogs. I mean, but really fun stuff. And uh, and the far side is back, mm-hmm. and you can see it on thefarside.com. And uh, let me tell you, he's doing like a new strip, uh, like every every day, I think now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just great to see this one come back. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see him return. You know, I liked how. Um, slowly but surely, some of these greats from like the '80s and uh, early '90s, when a lot of these people started to like, I guess, wrap it up or end their strips, starting to come back. You know, when the world's a little bit tumultuous, I guess they got something to say again. Mm-hmm. So we get some of these voices back, and it's good to see um, him return. It's, it's pretty funny stuff, pretty weird, absurd mm-hmm. little comics. Yeah, the far the far side was one of those ones that like I, I always like comedy that's for some people they'll look at it and be like, I don't get it. And <laughs> you're like like dying of laughter. You're like, What do you mean you don't get it? And then like you explain it to them, they're like, Oh, oh, like it mm. makes you think. It's not just like like out there like it's not just like brazenly like this is the joke. Like sometimes you have to think about it a little bit. Like immediately the first one I always think of when I think of the far side is the uh, the kid pushing the door at the school for the gifted, <laughs> but it says <laughs> on the door. <laughs> like, yeah, to na- to nail something that every single person has probably seen or dealt with in their life, in in a in a what a one frame kind. Co- like, it's not even like there's. I think it's just the one frame, and that's it. Like, that's mm-hmm. the level of art. I mean, like, and and Julian, you're an artist. I mean, like, you can. Uh, kind of speak to this like it's difficult to convey a story in just one panel oftentimes and he managed to do that with just that in a word bubble <laughs> yeah like that's one of the ones that's like really inspired me when i was like first starting on ads because you know some people they consider it's like oh it's comics it has to have multiple uh multiple panels to be comics if not it's a cartoon and i'm like none of you guys are as great as my man gary larson so who are you i don't need to listen to you it's in the newspaper. It's not like those funny books. <laughs> newspaper is highest level of quality. If you can do it, I can do it. <laughs> I think it's a great thing to see some of things back. Uh, I think, you know, especially, uh, unfortunately, I, I think, you know, even though we know the newspapers is not the big thing anymore, uh, but it's good to bring back these type of things. Uh, comic strips in general to come back that we remember and again for a new generation we need the new, the new generation to need to know that hey that you know we had these things for a reason you know to make us laugh make us think and and help us you know educate ourselves a little bit more so mm-hmm. well i particularly i like um in fact I, brian i think it might have been you who was talking about how he did this stuff in a single panel and i remember Another one that stands out for me, um, there were, uh, well, it, 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 it looks like a flock of sheep, but it's actually these sheep costumes, and there are two wolves who have, mm. like, taken off their sheep masks, <laughs> and there's another one who's taking off his sheep mask in the background, <laughs> and the one wolf is saying to the other one, wait a minute, isn't anyone here a real sheep? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, it, it just... Uh, to, to sort of react to what you were saying about how sometimes you'd get it later or you'd be thinking about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of these jokes were, were really subtle, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact it, it, it's something I like that 
you said, Julian, about how you were inspired by this. And, you know, I think some of the best, uh, especially the best uh, syndicated cartoonists, uh, th- their work did just that. I mean, they inspired other creators. Um, you know, they, I mean, well, actually, heck, that, that, that's what there is. They inspired other creators. And, you know, when your work is so good that other cartoonists talk about it, you know, that's, I mean, and uh, point to it as, as something that kind of spurred them on. I mean, that, that's really something. And, you know, I think that's how the whole, uh, the whole industry is sort of moved along. You know, it's, al- it's almost like in basketball where, you know, like a guy like Michael Jordan comes along and changes the game. And then everybody going forward, they're like, well, I saw Jordan do this. And so I'm going to try and do it. And I'm going to incorporate that into my game. And I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, please, Julian, but I, I, isn't that to some degree what cartoonists do? You know, there's like somebody else who's done something and you're like, yeah, but like take that as part of my game now. And, you know, and, and a lot of people do that. And, you know, that sort of moves everything along. Right. Yeah, I was, I was, I think oh, it's, it's more, it's more like jazz. I would think than it is like, let's say basketball. Mm. It's a little bit you know, you, you start thinking about basketball as more competitive. It's like, yo, I'm better than you. And it's more like, yo, let me see if I can take what they did and build upon it and flip it and, and do it a little bit different way to make it my own. You know, uh, that, going back to what I said earlier, another strip that came back a couple of years ago is, a, is Bloom County. So it's like mm. I think these two these two folks who got really, really big and then just kind of like they knew when to walk away and, and some of these voices back. So hopefully it can help. You know, show newer people some of this type of comedy and uh, give it a new audience. You know, especially as uh, I said, the newspapers are going away, but the internet and the Instagram and whatever else will replace Instagram in a certain number of years. The TikToks and whatever will um, will keep it going. You know, mm-hmm. to think of things a little bit more, a, a little bit more at a different angle and a little bit more smart, like you know, intelligent and creative. On how you're going to comment on these things versus, you know, throwing up a bunch of uh, Twitter threads saying mm. exactly how well, you feel. Well, here's the this is why I, I mean, maybe one day Yuli can talk to these guys about this is I feel like the the pressure of the comeback. You know, we've had Bloom County, Doonesbury came back a few years, several years ago, and and now Farside, I feel like. Even though you know the, you know us, we, we've read these you know these strips and things like that. But the the way the internet is so pressing for content for some odd reason, and and, and if I I don't want them to have the fear factor of you know being pressurized to put out content. I I just think that I mean they they have great work, and, and I because I, I I follow certain artists and. You know, mind you, you know, I I would wait. I can wait. I can, I'm patient enough to say, hey, I'll, you know, wait for when your next strip is because you probably had doing other things that you have. And especially in this time frame, you could be trying to catch up what you've been dealing with uh, before all this stuff happened. But I think now, you know, as much as, you know, people have the, you know, patience you know, it's very limited now. And I feel like I don't want them to come back and come back to the point where they have, they get a quick burnout, you know, come, you know, it, I, that I don't really want that to happen to them. Mm. See, 
I, I agree with you in, in principle because the internet is based on what have you done for me lately. I mean, like everything, like you know, they talk about your 15 minutes of fame. I mean, like we're talking like 15 seconds now. Mm. But at the same time, too, you don't think Gary Larson has that pressure already built into his mindset? Like this was something that he had to come up with more stuff on a regular basis. So mm. I think people like him, people like like these comics that have been gone for a while, they're uniquely built for this sort of thing. And it's I'm just interested to see the new stuff that he has because he has such a dark, morbid sense of humor anyways. Mm. You know? Like I mean really like not like like not like sick or anything like that, but like yeah, right. it went it went to some dark places with some of the jokes that he made. And I think that in the current world we live in, I want to see what this guy has to say. And that's always the thing that that kind of strikes me with these guys coming back is what is their artistic take gonna be on what the dumpster fire is that our world is right now. Like, I can't, I can't wait to see the take that they have on it. Like it's, it's going to be interesting because that, that's always a, a key component to a good artist for me, whether it's music, whether it's a filmmaker, whether it's an actor, whether it's um, a uh, cartoonist, it's a um, comic book artist is how they take the real world and bring it into their work. Mm-hmm. And especially with the way things have changed. When when did Larson stop doing this? 98, is that what you said, Yuli? Mm, wait a minute. Uh, wait, wait. It, it, it split off. It, it split off in like 89, and then he went to... Uh, then he became Outland. Then he became oh, oh, no, no, no. You're thinking of Bloom County. He was saying about the far side. Yeah. 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 yeah, to, yeah oh, yeah. My bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's in the mid-90s. Yeah. I'm sorry. My bad. Okay. Man. So the world is a vastly different p- place now than it was in the mid nineties. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what he has to say. Mm. I mean, and for any of these guys that are, that are coming back, like I, I like, like we, we mentioned it like before we were recording, we talked about the guy who created uh, Dilbert and how he turned out to be like ultra conservative. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah, exactly. So I like think it turned out, I think he, you could tell from the comic. He was oh no. Off. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Like read, like going back through like some of the old Dilbert uh, comics. I was like, Oh, there it is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I see it. Okay. But like, yeah, now that's the kind of guy I don't really want any more Dilbert. I'm good. Um, but like, I'd like to see what Gary Larson has to say. Cause um, I mean, it's like, how many people do you know? Like every single person, if you've ever worked in an office building, somebody has a far side, like, like a calendar, like the, the, the uh, 365 day calendar, we just tear off each one. So, I mean, it's, it's like built into our culture now. It's part of our DNA, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I a couple other things that I want to say about that, but first... We have to take a little break because, of course, that musical cue means that it's time for us to acknowledge our underwriters and sponsors because the Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're community radio, and that means that this is a place that we would like you to become a part of. You can be involved if you want to have your own show, if you want to learn about audio production or video production. Uh, you can do all of that here. Visit the website at WERA.FM or visit the website for our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media, at ArlingtonMedia.org for more details. So we're going to step aside momentarily, but I'll be right back with Mike and Brian and Julian, and we've got more to say coming up right after this.
And we're back on Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Mike Lunsford and Julian Lytle and Brian Lyles. And when we had to take the break, we were talking a little bit about the return of Gary Larson's The Far Side. And uh, we had actually just been talking a bit about um, how some strips come back and uh, how maybe even those strips that are baked into our cultural DNA, um, do they have more to say? In some cases, yes. In some cases, maybe not. I mean, I, I remember, in fact, uh, we were talking a little bit about Bloom County uh, by Berkeley uh, Breathitt. And that one came back. I mean, of course, if you know Bill the Cat and Opus the Penguin, you know about Bloom County. Fabulous strip. And yet, when it came back, I didn't think that it was as good. You know, I mean, there's, there's some sometimes stuff happens to people, and you know, I we had specifically referenced uh, Dilbert creator Scott Adams and how uh, he just went off that right wing uh, diving board. But another creator that that sort of happened to uh, was Frank Miller. Uh, and if you look at, say, for example, The Dark Knight. Um, you know, he, he's a lot more left. Dark Knight Returns? Sorry, yes, Dark Knight Returns. Thank you. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> uh, he's a lot more left-leaning than he is in some of his, in hell, a lot of his later work. You know? Is it, though? Is it, though? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and I, I know mm. what you're saying, because he's got the same, many of the same elements, but it's the way that he accentuates those elements. And um, even... All right, so you, so you look at uh, The Dark Knight Returns, and yeah, there's some crazy right-wing people, but it's like he's he's almost sort of mocking them. I mean, and even the way that uh, he's got Superman portrayed. I mean, you know, Superman is a pawn of the government. Batman is the hero of that story. You know, this populist... But he's uh, not really a left-leaning, though. I would say they're different. They're on a diff even as like a young person, I was like... I don't know how I like this about my Batman because he felt like it's two competing ideas of republicanism. You know what I'm saying? Of, of there's the neocon and there's like the regular conservative. If you feel me, like I think when people get caught up in like Batman being like like a a, a, a capitalist or something, where people's like Batman just beats up bl uh, poor black people in the in the city and stuff, it's because of the things Frank Miller like injected into Batman in the eighties and then everybody fell onto it. And I think other people that actually did really like harshly believe in some of those politics got involved, you know, like uh Chuck Dixon and uh added things into Batman to help propagate some of that underlying uh floors if you want to say Batman is a building. It's 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 part of them because of some of those creators and they put it in there subtly. But like I, I didn't want to take over, but like I no, always no, felt that, that Frank Miller, because come on, like when you hear the story of why he made Dark Knight Returns, it's more than like, oh, uh, I'm older than Batman. I should never be older than Batman. So he made like an old Batman story. Yo, he got he got mugged and he got shook because he was in New York back when it was like still New York, New York, <laughs> how it looked in the movies, and he got shook, and then like all that stuff happened and he made that story. So it's like, 
Yeah, like I, yeah, Frank. I think Frank Miller's always been on it, but I do think that the way things are going right now, he's he's anti what's going on right now, but that doesn't make him left. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you make some excellent points about all of that, and uh, I would I would have a very difficult time refuting it. Um, I, the the only things I would like you to think about, um, uh, partly this, so. And, and they worked really hard because you're right. I mean, Batman wasn't left leaning. Um, and from a certain perspective, yeah, you know, I mean, he was he was uh, beating up the bad guys, um, but he wasn't that there was a point that he wouldn't go beyond. And now he'd right. He'd walk right up to that line. I remember there was uh, one sequence in particular uh, he had pursued um, some gunmen into a building, and this was this was right after. Um, uh, in fact, it was it was the guy they had robbed a bank, and um, so Batman chased him. It was, it was a two face caper, and he didn't realize that the actual uh, payroll had escaped in a jalopy that pulled out at the same time. You know, these guys were driving this sleek custom job and uh, so batman jumped onto that and there are these two cops one of them a rookie and one of them you know like an old veteran cop who had known of batman from before anyway though um there's one sequence where because batman has got these guys cornered in a building and uh, one of the guys kind of kind of comes up on him and seems like he's got the drop on it and the caption is there are seven working defenses from this position uh, three disarm with minimal contact. Three kill. The other hurts, <laughs> and he kicks the guy, and he basically cripples him. You know, which you know, one of the cops is like, "You just crippled that man." But I was cracking up because you know this is his training. Oh, I mean, maybe there was a time when he would have used one of those moves that disarms with minimal contact, <laughs> but he didn't use one of the moves that kill. You know. And, uh, and I, I think all of that's noteworthy. And in fact, there's another scene uh, right before he has his final confrontation with the Joker where it's like a point-counterpoint thing and the two uh, hosts are arguing and one of them, who I actually think is Barbara Gordon, but she's saying, Maury, Batman's never killed anybody. Batman's never killed anybody. That's her point. And yeah. even though you know the Joker kind of frames him for murder... Um, and and you know the the fact as as Batman and Superman are fighting and they're kind of having their argument and you know because Batman is very vindictive and he's upset with Superman and he's saying you took the power that should have been ours and you gave it to them you know and um, and he's he's real upset at Superman for having done that and uh, you know this this was in the same breath as uh, you know Superman reminding him yeah you were the one who played it rough. You know, yeah, of course we're criminals. We've always been criminals, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and Superman blamed him for that because he was trying to ride the thing out. He's like, I gave them, you know, my power and they gave me license and they allowed us to live, you know? And it's sort of the difference between capitulating and continuing to fight even against overwhelming odds. I mean, it's a real complex story when you get mm-hmm. into it. It is, so, it is. I do think, but, you know, this is a time. Frank Miller helped ruin Superman for a generation and a half. Yes. So, but like, because to me, Superman doesn't even do that. 
Like, nah, he's Superman. But it is like that's that's the thing. What I think Batman. I think also comes into the politics of Batman. Because if you also go into like some of the stuff in the very beginning, when he's fighting crooked police officers in the in the crooked city government and dealing with them them crooked uh rich people that's in his uh, community, uh, he's, he's pretty left there. Like, you know, the terrible trio, like a bunch of random three rich dudes that like go around harassing people. He just whooping them and the mad monk and you know everything was, was only one good cop and that's that was Commissioner Gordon and he came mm-hmm. from somewhere else. Like yeah, mm-hmm. you know it, it just it, it changes. Batman, ch- Batman changes, but I do think that he opens himself up to certain people trying to explore certain ideas, and also think some of the people that's been that's gotten the opportunity to write Batman and, and work on him a long time uh, might not be as uh, open with how things are as you may think they are, just because they make comic books. I think people who think people who make comic books are like really happy go lucky and left wing and progressive and that's not always the case <laughs> nope it is a job <laughs> yeah well if you're if you're really being serious about it that's one of the things about the comics industry that bothers me today you know is there was a time when these guys as professionals respected deadlines and they did whatever they had to make them you know now is it a deadline or is it more like a guideline you know i mean it's kind of like oh well this book is late. i'll get to it when so i get to what? it you know yeah you know and and it, maybe nothing comes out for six months eight months 11 months you know who knows where there was always something that was going to ship every month you know i, I, back I in the think day. that's yeah i i think that's been the problem uh, for me, let's put it this way, because in this generation, a lot of people are sort of like they, like I said, the instant sati- you know, satisfaction and gratification of things. And like you know, I said before, earlier, I, it's like, hey, as long as you take your time, put out a decent product out there, I'll take, I'll get it when I get it. Cool. I think now it, it's you know the you know like, how do you interpret this? I just feel like since pretty much management is not fully dictating, they're they're their own management. They make their own time. They have their own schedule. They make their own hours. They make their own pay. You know, they, they you know, the artists themselves feels like, hey, I'll like I said earlier, so they'll, I, when I do it, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. You know, I got other things got to deal with first. And I think that, you know, without that added pressure of, hey, we got to get make, you know, if it was a newspaper, it's like we got to make it by you know the by five o'clock so it can be out for the six o'clock you know edition. Uh, you don't get that anymore. I think the days of you know that you know I need this by noon type of thing is out the window. And it's and I think in a way it it helps and hurt the artists because one for it helps them because it gives them time to perfect what they want to put out there. It hurts them because. The audience, there are audience members who demand. It's like, hey, when is the next issue? <laughs> you know, you know, we, you know, when were we going to get? You know, there was we mentioned on the show many times where we had favorite books we're reading, and we had to wait three to four months for a new issue, and and it's supposed to be a monthly comic. It doesn't make any sense. Start behaving professionally again. Yes, <laughs> In other yes. words, <laughs> well, yeah, but the, but it, well, the counterpoint to that is because since uh, comic books doesn't have anything like actual benefits and uh, um, retirement plans and four hundred one ks, the better that the art is, is the higher you can resell it for. Mm-hmm. 
So all that's well and good. And when most people who now read comics, read it as trades through the book market, they mm. really don't care that the comic book is is a two months late, three months late, because they're not reading it from month to month because they're not going to a comic book store. Right. Because they don't might not even have a comic book store. They don't care. So like I get it and I get why it can be frustrating, but I also know it's just like, well, if they spend a lot of extra time on these pages when they go to their dealer and the people who like really are big fans of the artists or the characters or the characters in the artists and they can get like an extra, I don't know, thousand bucks or even more per page, then yeah, spend more time on the page and be late. Mm-hmm. It, the the people in charge can calculate the, the, the risk of that and figure out that it being late isn't going to lose them that much money when they go into reprints and uh, selling the, the trades and the hardcovers. And if it's a really good series, an absolute or omnibus. Also, like, the stores pay for it already. All right. That's what they got their money. You know, there's a story about uh, Don Heck. And, um, you know, some of some of our listeners might not know who this is, but, you know, classic uh, Silver Age uh, into the Bronze Age artists with Marvel primarily. But uh, a lot of these guys who were working back in the day, uh, they they're they're I mean, they were professionally trained. I mean, they were essentially commercial artists. And part of the way they were making their money was drawing comic books. So uh, as uh, this was the climax to the Celestial Madonna story with the Avengers and uh, Don Heck had done a lot of work on the Avengers earlier, but uh, somehow Marvel got in a bind and they needed this final issue drawn. And so uh, I understand Jim Shooter, I think, who was the editor-in-chief at the time, went to uh, Don Heck and he was like, yeah, we need this book and we need it in like five days or something. And uh, Don Heck proceeded to, and it's, Great work. I mean, you, you look at it now. Uh, but he proceeded to get this book out. It was a bunch of characters that he had never drawn, many of them. And he was, I mean, some guys, if they're doing two pages a day, they're doing something. I mean, this guy cranked out like five, six pages a day to be able to, maybe even more. I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, bottom line is he met the deadline the book shipped on time, and there there did not seem to be a drop-off in the over, overall quality of art. Now, I grant you, techniques are different today, and in some cases, I don't know, maybe it makes Was it easier. Was that good for his health? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, that, that's something not. that, yeah, because <laughs> we, we look back on the, oh, the, hey, the hey, old hey, days, hold, you know? Hold, hold that thought just a second. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA, 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle, Brian Lyles, and Mike Lunsford. And we are, we've gone off on a tangent. Mike, take it away. <laughs> what I was going to say is, is um, and kind of to Julian's point, is, you know, how, what was his mental health like after this? How many of these artists did we see die in their 60s or like their 50s, probably before their time, because they worked themselves to death and they died penniless? Because, again, it was, it was the mentality. It was, wor- you work. That's what you do. You bust your ass. You do whatever you possibly can to make a name for the company and make a name for yourself for being a hard worker. And like a lot of these guys got screwed over pretty bad Mm. because they, because of the mentality, that work ethic. And it's, 
it's trying to find that balancing act between having a good work ethic, but also knowing your own worth. And like, that's one of the things that I love about the modern era is seeing contemporary artists, seeing like modern artists doing classic work, doing comic book work, but knowing, Hey, this is what I'm worth. But not only that, if you want a good product, you got to give me time. You can't just expect me to constantly work. And I'm going to be able to tie this into the stuff we were talking about before with like the guys uh, like Gary Larson and Patterson uh, with Calvin and Hobbes. These guys work so hard and they burn themselves out, but they, they need time to absorb, to, to basically get input because Gary Larson's work was good because it was, again, taking that mirror and saying, hey, look, this is what's going on in society. These are things that we've all seen. You can't do that if you're not actually like taking time to absorb what's actually happening around you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Bill Watterson with Calvin and Hobbes was another one. He did all yeah. kinds of crazy research mm-hmm. into paleontology and rocket science and all. Oh, those, yeah. That psychology and, and um, exactly. I mean, and he had, a, and... he had uh, how old was Calvin supposed to be in the series? Five. Yeah. And five. this kid's talking like he's got like a postdoctorate degree. Like, right. I mean, <laughs> <philosophy>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> named after two philosophers, I believe. Cause like, yeah. yeah, that's the whole, like one of the jokes of the, mm. of the comic strip, but yeah, you know, and I say this as a manga fan, and the manga thing is a way different type of structure. Yeah. But again, but again, they own their copyrights. So when you watch that anime, guess who gets the money? The artist. Uh, the artist? <laughs> exact the mundo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so over here, when you're mad that blah 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 is late, mm-hmm. unless it's an image book, who does that benefits? When they make that movie, you see uh, hear about. Uh, What's his name that created uh, Rocket Raccoon in the hospital when he ain't got no oh, health Bill insurance? Oh, Bill Mantlo. Bill yeah. Mantlo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm just saying? So, be late, bro. Get the check. <laughs> well, I hear you, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I might sound like I'm advocating for, you know, meeting the deadlines, but, you know, I mean, it, it is a business. And, you know, if you're in the business of, I see, part of it depends on what are you in the business of. And back then, they were in the business of publishing comics, and that was how you got the check. If the editor called you, uh, you know, oh, I got a rush job, we need to get such and such done. And these guys, I mean, they'd crank it out. I mean, but that, that was why I said what, what I did about the way that they were trained and the way that they were healed in the business. And, you know, Don Heck could draw five pages a day, you know, whatever, for like five days, finish the book. And it was going to be of the same quality that he would have put out anyway. Now, hey, maybe that sent him to an early grave, but that was part of what you did back then. But also, there weren't any any other deals to be had. I mean, you know, all you were going to get were the was the money for doing those pages, and there wasn't there wasn't any back end uh, back then. You know, it's not illegal what was going on, but it was immoral as heck. I mean, you had the parent organizations making a gazillion dollars. And, and actually, this was nothing new. I mean, to me, the worst story is the creators of Superman, uh, you know, Siegel and Schuster, because DC was making millions yeah. off Superman in marketing and licensing in the 40s. Millions, you know? And, and uh, 40s millions, that's crazy. That's like billions today. Mm. That was why DC sued Fawcett out of existence with Captain Marvel and anybody else. You know, they did whatever they had to keep the gravy train rolling. But what did Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster get? 
138 bucks, you know, and then, you know, it's, it's kind of adding insult to injury. Yeah. Siegel kept writing the book for years after that, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. Schuster couldn't draw it as long, but man, he, he's still getting a check for these pages, even though he didn't own the character and had to watch them take in the spoils of what he and this other guy created. And it was, it just, like I said, it wasn't illegal, but it didn't pass the smell test to me in terms of what was right. Yeah, it's wrong. They got screwed. Bill Finger got screwed. You know, it's also things like that where you, you hear Don Heck drawing five pages a day probably to get this Celestial Madonna story done. And you know at that time they weren't really probably giving back the art or if you got to keep the art at all. Mm-hmm. So there's probably people with that whole issue or pieces of that issue and they didn't spend a lot of money on it yep. because it was just in like some pages at, at San Diego Comic-Con back in like 85 or something. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get a dime of that. And, yeah. And, you know, eventually the Celestial Madonna will be a part of chapter 42 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yeah. They got Mantis now. <laughs> Mantis yeah, he, with the Guardians. <laughs> and then it'll be all in there. And it's like, oh, man. And, yeah, when you the more you learn and, you know, you see about what people gone through and who fought for what, you know. I'm like, hey, man, if it's going to be late, it's going to be late. It's no big deal. <laughs> got enough distractions. <laughs> I, mean, honestly, I, read, I read manga anyway, man. What do I care, man? <laughs> totally went down the rabbit hole on that. <laughs> I had wanted to, uh, before we got out of here, we're almost out of time, but I'd wanted to just mention some of these new shows that were coming out and kind of find out what you guys thought. I mean, because there have been some trailers recently, and, and some of this stuff is either out or coming very soon, like later this month or next month, like uh, not, it woke <laughs> from Keith Knight, you know, who is an artist to uh, my my personal friend, Mr. Keith Knight. Uh, yeah, you know, and so he's got this thing coming out on Hulu. And uh, was it Julian? You were saying you would you had seen the trailer, right? What'd you think? Yeah, of it? I thought it was pretty good. I thought I like I didn't I didn't know how it was going to look and what type of show it was going to be. Uh, when he first said it was being made into a show, so I didn't expect like the um, the uh, the single cam, like really cinematically shot sitcom take, and then like the twist on like what happens. And so he, the way they incorporate the comic into the into the show is really inventive, and I look forward to it. So it looks like it's it's going to be funny. It's going to be a fun watch on Hulu. My understanding is there's some sort of precipitating incident that happens, and then he's seeing the world completely differently, you know. <laughs> and uh, and this cat was already pretty out there, but uh, you know, it's um, it looks like really funny stuff, and I, I, I certainly don't mind seeing Keith Knight make a buck off of this thing. You know, I mean, people have been confusing him with Aaron Magruder for so long. <laughs> They're not going to do that anymore after this. <laughs> They're going to confuse him with the actor. That's what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, really. Jeez. Or, or the actor's going to get confused with him. Yeah. Another one that's coming out is this uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. This, uh, oh, car- this looks so fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> another one I was confused about and prepared to not like. And then I saw the trailer, and it's like, you know what? Maybe I'll watch this. <laughs> it's okay. So 
any any Star Trek fan that's on social media basically is like plugged into some form of Star Trek group, right? Like there's always some group that you're part of where they share memes or whatever. And watching the the dual responses to this cartoon like has been hilarious because you're getting both sides of it. You're getting the classic like old like crotchety if it's not William Shatner, DeForest Kelly, and Leonard Nimoy, it's not Star Trek, like, crew. But then you're also getting the, hey, can we give some new people a chance crew? And it's just back and forth with this. And, like, I'm somewhere in between. I love the old stuff. I love the new stuff. Pretty much, if it's Star Trek, I'm watching it. And this looks like it's so much fun. It takes all these things that we've all made jokes about a million times from watching the show. Like, hey, I wonder what it's like to be just a regular dude working on the Enterprise. And they they really, like, dive into that, like, head first. And it just looks like it's going to be a ton of fun. Actually, I when I saw the trailer, it reminded me of Final Space just the artistry and what possibilities this, this storyline may be. Because I, I mean, my main thing with it is if it's just straight up comedy, then okay, that's good. But I can tell that there's going to be an actual good storyline out of this. Yeah. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of intrigued by that because you can still have the humor and everything, but you know, the way they have it possibly structured is there's going to be a really cool story out of this. So I, I I think it's 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 one it's it's good to have it's a new crew it it, it makes you think of like why what happens you know again we get finally get some certain things answered like all the red shirts you know why they always die all the time and, and things of that nature possibilities and um, and I, I think this is again this is a uh, expands on the current uh, storyline of where Star Trek is with after Picard so because based off of the art you can tell they or wearing the new new look uniform, so this I think it's going to be fun and entertaining. And again, it it since it's animated, it may bring in a newer audience as well. Yeah, and like it, it's, I love the way that they're portraying this because they're taking the the lower decks. The lower decks are like all your like ensign and like not high-ranking officers and basically the way they're portraying the command crew as just like a bunch of pompous jerks is like fantastic <laughs> oh i can't yeah i'm seriously excited about this one we won't have to wait long because uh star trek lower decks uh premieres on uh let's see august 6th 2020 nice. so yeah so that's just in a couple of weeks so hey uh I, i'm it's afraid out on Hulu right now isn't it um, I think it'd be CBS All CBS Access. All Access. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, that is. But woke isn't woke on Hulu right now. Um. Okay. No, it'll be in the fall. Oh, in the fall. Okay. Yeah, that one is that. That's like a. Uh, that's like a September one. And let's see. September 9th. <laughs> Wednesday, September 9th. <laughs> yeah, the fall. See, that was right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I read. I read the press releases. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you remember them better than I do. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, look, that's all the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank our guests and you, too, for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. And if you happen to be in, whoa, hell, just go to the website. You can check out episodes of the television show there, fantasticforum.tv. Um, you can also hear the radio show again each and every Thursday at 3 p.m. right on this station. And you can also catch the, t the radio show on the website as well. We've got 
uh, episodes of the TV show. We've got segments of the TV show broken out. Uh, also, I would be remiss if I did not tell you that you can listen to the radio show as a podcast, courtesy of the Great Geek Refuge. And apparently a number of people are listening to this show on the Great Geek Refuge. <laughs> if you are doing so, I thank you. Anyway, uh, stay safe because we are still in danger. And come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station.